you know, at first you got to track everything. Right. So make the investments up front to start to track everything. Then, then you can move to reporting. Uh, you know, how are we doing? How are we pacing? You know, and then, and then you can move to, to forecasting and predicting. You know, each of those are pretty critical stages and you can't start early enough. So, you know, as an early stage founder, even if it's yourself doing it, I would have a metric, have a goal, have a time frame, be experimenting on what's working, what's not, and sort of build that learning in. And over time, you know, fill out your suite of reporting and analytics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hashtag Startup Basics series in the Insights Alley podcast, where startup founders and teams can learn from proven founders and experts about product, growth, sales, strategy, and everything in between to make their own startup successful. I'm your host, Arun Verma, and let's get started. In today's episode, we will talk to Will Collins, who is the VP of Operations at Trift. We would discuss about what is meant by the operations department in a B2B company and what should they do and how. And of course, what should startups learn from that and also get started. So here is the episode. Hello, Will. Welcome to Insights Alley. And thanks a lot for taking out some time for doing this. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, Will, would you like to start with telling us your story in brief from your early career to you working as Drift's VP of operations nowadays? Sure. The quick version is going way back. I was an econ major in college, so a numbers person at heart. I did a brief stint in investment banking for a couple of years, you know, learning sort of the the finance ins and outs. And then I spent a couple of years in Boston in the venture capital world, investing in, in young technology companies before going to business school and, and ultimately landing you know, here at Drift. And I've now been here for about almost three years at this point and started really in an operational capacity doing a lot of different things and, and narrowing you know, sort of over time. So well, let's start with for people like me who might not know about this. What does a VP of operations and their team do from their tasks, projects, responsibilities, priorities? Could you explain a little bit on that from a very fundamental and layman's point of view? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. And it's a good question. It'll, it'll mean something different probably for, for every company. Operations is kind of this catch-all term that right. both means a lot of things and nothing. The way at our core here, Drift, we are an enabler of the different divisions. So we enable sales, marketing, customer success, predominantly the go-to-market operations with the systems, processes, and analytics to, to be effective. And so what that means is, you know, we have an enablement team and that's your more traditional like sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops, you know, kind of like general analysts. We have uh, an analytics team that manages, you know, our analytics infrastructure and enables, you know, the different divisions to run their own analytics via, you know, a mode or a looker or a tableau or a data studio. And then we have a data infrastructure team. So our infrastructure team is manages our ETL and helps us move data throughout the organization. That's how we break up the team. And that's, you know, those are the things that we really focus on. But ultimately, it's helping the different divisions be as efficient as possible. So let's talk about reporting. What does that include? Like, and how does that whole process work? And it's important. Like, what would the key takeaways be regardless of the stage of the company? 
you know, at a high level, reporting is important just so you know how you're doing, whether or not the things that you're you're doing are working and driving this, the results that you intend or, or not. So, you know, as a, as a part of our team, we spend a lot of our time working with the different divisions on, okay, if these are the key metrics and these are the results we're trying to drive, how are we performing relative to those benchmarks or those goals? So at Drift specifically, company-wide, we have, you know, daily and weekly reporting. And that's, you know, that could be on, on the daily side, we've got we use a, a tool called Data Studio to show across our key metrics uh, across the different divisions. Are we on pace to hit our goals for the month, or are we not? And we even have a you know like a weekly meeting company wide called Monday Metrics, which we talk about you know two or three key metrics, and you know again, are we on pace for the month or, or not, and what do we need to do to you know to to hit our goals? So th- those are the two really regular kind of reporting mechanisms, and then we have monthly town hall meetings where you know we we take a more macro view of the business and we review, okay, these are the five key metrics for the year, you know, for us to hit our goals. How do we do this past month relative to those goals? What's working? What isn't working? What are the trends of our business? And and we sort of use that monthly check-in to cover those topics. So Lots of other reporting, you know, at the micro level, you know, in the in the different divisions, but that's the the macro level here. We work closely with the finance team as well on you know building, maintaining, and updating all of those. I'm curious to know like, how does that handoff process work? So, for example, deep down in analytics, every team would be responsible for that, or is it like the that process and standardization collection of analytics uh, and data KPIs? Is it your responsibility or like each team's responsibility? How does this thing work? Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of both, and, and we have a couple of different operating models here, and I think that this is a this is a good learning for people to take away. Mm-hmm. We have both a financial model, which is effectively like the budget, right? Here's how much right. we're going to spend. Uh, and, and that ties to the to our revenue goals and has sort of their version of the funnel. And then we have, you know, what we maintain, which is like the go-to-market operating model, which is a deeper dive into, okay, if this is how many meetings we've got to drive, what does that mean for top of the funnel metrics? Or, okay, if we need to generate this kind of pipeline in this segment, what does that mean as far as meetings booked and held, et cetera? Uh, a much deeper dive of each of the funnels by segment based on, you know, the go-to-market motions that we have here. And, and we have a couple. So they're separate. They they have to tie together, of course. But right. what what the handoff looks like is, you know, at exec level, you know, we're talking about, you know, what is the goal for next year? How does that look relative to to historical results? What is the progression? Where do we want to spend more time and resources this year? And make sure the model sort of generally lines up there. And then the handoff occurs where, you know, then we translate that into the operating model of and work with the different division owners of how do we get there and and what what are the key levers and and what do we really need to be tuned in and tracking to make sure that we know whether we're on pace or off pace but that's that's how we structure it here makes sense how do you think about transparency in this thing so for example obviously very sensitive metrics kpis would be for the uh, stakeholders but obviously you have to maintain some sort of transparency so i, I see like two examples on two end of the spectrum one is very open companies which just would put out their whole key metrics and everything out there on twitter also and then obviously uh, there would be companies on the other end of the spectrum. So how do you think about it? And like, what are the pros, cons? Yeah, we're pretty transparent here. Uh, That's something that culturally we believe pretty fundamentally in. Internally, we we are obviously a private company, so we don't, you know, explicitly state any of our 
key business metrics publicly. But what we do believe is that anybody in the company at any given time should be able to, and we document all of these meetings. So look at the latest weekly, the latest monthly, hmm. you know, any, any, any of those decks and have a good sense of how we're performing. And, you know, we, we believe in encouraging people to be curious, to learn, to really own and internalize our metrics. And, and actually, in many cases, we take it a step further hmm. and we will roll those metrics down to individual performance. So what we want people to be able to say and feel is when they show up, we want them to be able to come up with their own goal and right. say, okay, if I do this, I know we're going to hit the company goal. And we want them to feel that they have a direct line into some of those bigger, more aggregate metrics. So our view of the world, and it helps people feel comfortable that, you know, we're being open and honest. You know, the other pros are it helps individuals goal set more effectively. It, it gives them a sense of how, you know, the key metrics can be impacted by individual performance. So those are the pros, you know, the cons, there's always a risk of, you know, information being shared where it shouldn't right. you take the time to make sure that that's, you know, treated appropriately. But my personal view is that more transparency is better. These are employees that are absolutely uh, voting with their time and feet and, and investing a lot of, of time in this business. And it's important that you reciprocate that with, with transparency into how the company is performing. Makes sense. Right. So, what I like to think in an ideal scenario for anyone in the whole starter team should be able to get whatever metric, KPI funnel or data, etc. for whatever project idea they are thinking of or, you know, working on, right? So yep. from, should never happen that like a person needs to go from this team to that team, then this person to that person just for a data point, right? I would love to know your thought on is how would you suggest startups make a quick, smooth and transparent process for reporting and extraction of data for anyone in the whole startup? There's a couple of steps I would recommend. Number one, how you access your data, just making investments there early. You know, oftentimes you'll have things live in Salesforce or live in Marketo or live in your production databases and, and marrying those together. Right. Uh, I think doing that sooner rather than later is great. And then also making investments on the visualization side. There's a lot of tools out there today. You know, Google Data Studio is one that pops to the top of my, uh, my head because we use it pretty extensively here where, you know, we in the ops team can build a you know, a set of five reports or whatever that can get you 90% of the way there and they update automatically. And, and a lot of that infrastructure and those tools exist today. So I would, you know, my recommendation is make the investments on the back end ahead of time. And, you know, even a simple cheap visualization layers, Data Studio is effectively free. You know, you can surface some of those insights to, you know, the entire broader team. Those are, those are two things that we did pretty early on that looking back, we're, we're pretty critical to where we are today. Makes sense. Let's talk about forecasting now. So first of all, what does it mean by forecasting? Forecasting of what? And like, how do you do forecasting? What is the process like? Forecasting in, in my mind, and, and I think it's different than goal setting. So in, in my mind, I separate those two things. So forecasting is, okay, given these set of inputs, what do we think the output is going to be? And forecasting is like, okay, if I do 10 demos based on historical conversion rates, I think I'm going to get five deals out of that, right? Versus a goal, which might be instead of 10 demos or five deals, I want 20 demos or 10 deals. They're very different. They're different processes. They're different, they're different models. And, and, and how you go about landing on each of those are, are very, very different. So I think it's important to separate the two. 
And it's important, I think, over time to to track, okay, uh, to build a model, to track if that model actually ends up coming true, if you were accurate, if you weren't accurate, if and then you can learn and build a repeatable engine so that you can build predictability in your business over time. An example of this would be, you know, sales pipeline to close one deals. If you create X dollars of pipeline this month, you think you'll close Y next month, Z the following month, and you can watch that waterfall over time so that you know, and the correlation between those two metrics, pipeline and close one to say, Yep, it's a leading indicator. And here's what it means for, you know, ultimately revenue over time for my business. So, you know, if pipeline's going up, okay, great. Then you, you can feel confident that your close one revenue is going to follow suit. Makes sense. Moving on to goal settings. Like, what is the process like first from a cadence point of view, like Q1, then weekly, yearly, whatever. And then from the perspective of like how goal setting flows from top to bottom in the company. So goal, goals are different. And, and I think the process there, we do a lot of benchmarking. Uh, and I think that's always a good place to start. One one place that you can easily get tripped up on is you came up with this, let's say you're a business and you, and you did a million dollars of revenue last year. You could say, I want to do two next year. Oftentimes, those are arbitrary numbers. Uh, so I think it's important to benchmark right. to say, is two good? Maybe two is amazing relative to you know your competition or other companies like yours. Uh, or maybe two is not very good relative. And and ultimately, I think having a view uh, will help you you know figure out what the right goal is for your for your business. So so benchmarking that's certainly a, a critical part of the the going process for us. And I think the other um, there's a couple different philosophies here. I think the other you know sometimes people will have a management plan and a board plan. A board plan maybe is more achievable and a management plan is more of a stretch. Sequoia has a saying where they have an 80-20 plan, which is like 80% achievable, and they have a 50-50 plan, which is 50% achievable. I think it is helpful to, to have both and to come up with a, here's what I think is achievable and here's what I think is a stretch. And you know, coming up with probably starting with a revenue number, because that's our in B2B tech and SaaS, sort of our North Star, but or a net retention number, for example, having one or, or two key metrics and a goal there, and then sort of having what you think is achievable and a stretch. And ultimately what we do then after we come up with those goals, typically it's an annual process for us. We work backward into the quarterly goals by division, and then we you know, flow those all the way down to the individual. Okay, makes sense. This, this process is V2 mom process or it's something else? So, so Salesforce has made V2 mom, uh, if you read behind the cloud, okay. popular. That's one way of doing it. Google has OKRs. We have a slightly different process. It's sort of an internal framework that we've developed, but effectively it's the same, which is the company has a set of four or five goals. Then beneath that, each division has a set of goals that relate to those five. And then beneath that, you know, individuals have goals that relate to those division goals, which ultimately roll into the company goals. I, I think the key there on any of those systems is that there's alignment. Alignment from the, the top level goals down to the individual and, uh, and visibility for everybody in the company to know how their results are directly impacting the business. Right. So what is the meta system? How do you make process out of everything and everyone for the teams, right? Processes, systemizing, standardization, checklists, etc. For for operations in particular or exactly. across the company? Would like to know your thoughts on both. Okay. They're, they're not all that different. We have you know, our own version of system thinking effectively. And what that means is we call, we call them engines here. Uh, everybody's got their own, their own flavor. But what that means is basically we want people to start with a KPI, which means you know, it's a metric 
or a number something that's measurable that you can watch over time and a goal to move that metric over a certain time period. So, uh, you know, an example would that be, you know, I had 10 demos last month. I want to do 20 demos next month, right? There's a metric, it's measurable, and there's a key time frame there. And effectively, what we ask people to do is to frame their work around a goal. And then, you know, beneath that, there's a bunch of things that have to happen. So you document those things, the processes, the parts, and then you test it. So at the end of the month, you had this goal, you went through a bunch of processes, ideally that are documented, and then you look at the results. And when you look at those results, you say either I hit the goal or I didn't hit the goal. And then, you know, you repeat and you learn each time. That's how we think about engines here. You know, we're working pretty hard across the company, not just in operations, but across the board for, you know, for our employees and our leaders to identify what their engines are and make sure they have that kind of system thinking at the forefront so that we're constantly learning and learning the levers of our business, learning what the drivers are, learning when we make mistakes, and and ultimately fine-tuning those engines over time. So that's that's how we think about you know what an engine is and kind of the the meta system. Wow, that's pretty cool. What is the right time? Like, how do I identify the right time for making a standard standardized system for doing things or any processes with checklists or whatnot? And also, like, how do you proactively and perhaps reactively understand, like, is it the right time to update the process also in case your case, it's called engine? You know, I'm not sure there's a hard and fast rule or that we've developed a hard and fast rule on what is an engine versus what isn't. I think generally speaking, we try to, we, we look at what are processes that we're going to have to repeat over time. And if there is a process that you're going to repeat over and over and over again, that's that's an ideal candidate for an engine. The, the others are, you know, when we roll down our goals to the individuals, we think of each of those goals as an engine. So that's another way that we think about it. You know, I think that that's sort of up to, you know, your individual company to, to determine, but those are two criteria that we use on whether or not to use an engine. So so I, I think the, the key there is in the debrief. When you set a time frame, set a metric and run the experiment or run the engine itself, you'll, you'll get a set of output, right? And I think each time you get that set of output and, you know, the time frame will differ depending on what you're trying to move or the metric. But each time you get a set of output, I think it's really critical to, to sit back and say, did it drive the result I hoped for? If the answer is yes, great, then you probably have a good engine. Uh, if, if the answer is no, then to do like root cause analysis on why. And by doing that, you can probably narrow down at least a key learning or at least a fix to the engine and, you know, a direction of, okay, I'm going to adjust for that next time. I've learned something. Here's the change I made. Then you run the experiment again and you do the same the same thing. And in some cases, you might be learning more than, more than one thing at a time, right? But ultimately, I think after you've run that, that, that engine and see, you see the results and see whether or not you hit the goal, that's where the learning occurs before you, know, you run it again. Makes sense. How do you guys ensure or any startup should ensure like as the team scales, the processes don't become either very bureaucratic or like the process itself becoming a task which sucks up the time of the teams, right? So how should one try to avoid that? Yeah, it's a good question. How much process is too much process or when right. you get it in, in the way of what's more important? You know, I think I think process is, is great. We have a saying here that we say, put the customer at the center of everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And I think that processes are great when you want something repeatable. I think generally you got to start analog first before you automate anything. Because if you automate something that isn't a quality process, you're just going to have more of something that doesn't work well. Right. So our philosophy here is make 
make sure the customer experience is like what the guiding principle is first and foremost whenever you're thinking about any of these processes. Hmm. Number two, do you have it working manually first? I, I think oftentimes we, we like to lean on tools to fix problems that probably a symptom of a different, of a different issue. So then we'll say, okay, let's do it. If we, if we agree that this is a process that we need, it makes a better experience for the customer. And we agree that, uh, you know, we, we got to start manually. Once we have that process nailed, then we focus on scaling it. But it's really not until we've nailed those first two things that we go to the third. So that helps us ensure that we don't have too many processes. And, you know, if we can simplify things, that's when we'll use, you know, Zapier or Tray or, you know, mm-hmm. workflow tools to really like start to automate certain things. But first and foremost, I think it's got to be with the customer in mind and it's got to be nailed manually then we can focus on you know what it takes from a systems perspective to make it to make exactly. it more easier on maybe it's a sales rep uh, so it's only two clicks in salesforce or easier for you know the the legal team because all of the documentation is in one centralized place or when they check this box it fires off this email you know then then we can go to town on automation and i don't think you want people spending more time on documentation and engine building than they are actually doing so i think feeling that out a little bit as you go is important and just tracking your time am i spending more time documenting versus doing that's probably a sign that you're not headed in the right direction and and i think narrowing down to a set of of key engines is also important you don't have to go through a massive thought exercise for a small task that that doesn't require one we sort of have a rule of thumb which is no person should really have more than like two or three engines. If you have more than that, you're probably stretched kind of thin. So what what we relegate to is the big goals and metrics that you're trying to move those two or three core things that you're in charge of focus on those really nail those the rest of the day to day is probably, you know, largely details or doesn't require one. So, you know, I, I think setting a limit is is one way to, to handle that. And two, just, you know, over a period of time, looking back at, you know, how much time you're spending documenting versus doing is another way you can control for that. Makes sense. So, uh, well, let's discuss a little difference sections of ops, right? So like people ops, DevOps, sales ops, marketing ops, or what else I'm missing? Uh, so first of all, what are these ops functions and what should they take care of and how? So the way that we structure our enablement team, which are really the people that are working directly with the divisions and, and probably, you know, more traditionally thought of as ops, we have one or, or a couple people in sales operations and they're working directly with, you know, the sales leadership team and, and reps themselves. Right. You know, doing things like maintaining Salesforce dashboards so the reps know what leads to work in what order. Helping the, you know, directors or VPs with reporting. How is my team doing? Are we on plan, off plan? Moving, you know, that insight to in as near as real time as possible. You know, things like that. That That's where, where our sales ops folks spend their time. In marketing, you know, marketing ops, not surprising, works with our demand generation team and helps them think through, okay, if marketing's pipeline goal or demo goal is X, Y, or Z, how are we going to get to that goal? Helps them goal set, track relative to those metrics and, and so on. Uh, we also have somebody in customer success who works with our customer success team, similarly helping the CSMs see their book of business, prioritize how they're spending time uh, and make the onboarding process more efficient, et cetera. So we've largely focused our operations team around go to the go-to-market division. So sales, marketing, and customer success. And and then the analytics and data infrastructure team are also in in support of of those. Uh, We also work with the product team as well, but that's really the core of what operations is, you know, here at Drift. And then, you know, the data side is really, you know, helping 
organize our data in a way and and surface it in a way that's that's meaningful not only to those teams but but to all teams makes sense you guys made a deliberate decision to build a centralized operations team right versus distributed individual ones so like uh, first of yeah. all what is meant by that and and what are the pros and cons of both approaches like how should new teams decide which one to choose from yeah, it's a good question. And it was a deliberate decision. There was a, a couple reasons we did. And, and I think it's even important to step back and, and think about how ops exists in most companies today. And I think what you'd find in, in older companies is sales ops, for example, would live in sales and reports to the VP of sales. Marketing ops would live in marketing uh, and report to the you know, VP of marketing, for example, or right. the CMO and customer success the same way. And, and the data and infrastructure teams probably lived in product and you know worked with the product team directly and reported to the VP of product or whatever the case may be, right? Now, we decided to centralize it uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we found in scenarios in our own experience where, you know, everybody's working out of different systems, the data doesn't actually talk to each other. And, you know, the, the classic example is you, you would show up to a, a meeting and sales would have their Salesforce report and marketing would have their Marketo report. And you'd spend most of the meeting arguing over what is the right metric versus what the actual result is. And so, you know, we're trying to solve that problem with a neutral sort of unbiased team. So that's one reason to centralize. Uh, number two, we're really working from like the KPIs backward, right? We all this data on the back end, the real power of it comes from when it's married together and ultimately how you can present that in a digestible format. And so that's that's another reason we centralized so that we have all the data in one place that it's accessible and that we can build like our key business metrics, you know, on top of it. And, and the final reason, you know, we looked out at, you know, mentors or, or company mentors that, that we find have done a really good job scaling organizations quickly. And, you know, we found that that's, a best practice in our research. And increasingly, even, you know, as, as sort of an aside, some of the metrics that we look at are actually cross, cross-functional, right? right? Things like LTV to CAC. You, know, you have to have a view of demand gen on the front end, sales in the middle, and, and customer success in the back end, and, and actually marry all those metrics to, to get to that, you know, that output. And, and doing that from a central place is, is a lot easier than trying to piece them together. Makes sense. Uh, so what about ops, like people ops, DevOps? So how would that fit into, If would it fit into your department or like how does that work? Yeah, so people ops, potentially, we, we haven't really made a decision there yet whether that will live, you know, kind of under HR or not. I think the difference is, there is there's not as much cross-functional exposure. Though, you know, we'll certainly put all their data in our centralized warehouse and all that kind of stuff. People ops, though, is, is it's not a role we've filled yet. So we haven't made that decision. DevOps does live within product just because, you know, they only really one team. They're working directly with the developers. You know, that makes sense. Whereas when, when we're talking about, you know, the actions of one division affecting the others or the inputs and outputs from one going directly to another, that's a little more of a straight line uh, to centralize. Well, let's talk about tools. I love tools. What mm-hmm. kind of tools you and your team use and like for what exact use cases? So let's divide it up into two sections. One would be what tools related to actual infrastructure and systems. Like I know, obviously, you guys use Drift and Segment. Mm-hmm. Right? And the second would be what are the tools which make your life easier from a reporting, analytics, visualization point of view? Sure. So on the infrastructure side, so so you nailed it. Segment uh, is one that we use. We use uh, Zapier. 
Uh, I am sure like everybody out there to move data around, Trey.io is another tool that we use to manipulate and move data throughout the organization. So uh, those are three. We also use Airflow, which is kind of an ETL tool to help us orchestrate certain processes, you know, in the back end to move data around again. You know, we're all AWS here. So Redshift is another one on the infrastructure side. On the go-to-market side, Salesforce for our CRM, Marketo on the marketing automation side. And then obviously Drift is our, you know, major lead generation channel uh, and tool. Right. And then on the analytics side, Data Studio, I mentioned, is a great visualization tool for us. Mode analytics uh, we use for, you know, to, to write SQL queries and query our databases and whatnot. You know, I'm sure we're, we're not far off from a Looker or a Tableau as well to enable probably more serious analytics for less technical folks. But those are the, those are the key components today. And then on the project management side, if you want a pretty simple checklist tool, Process Street is one. We use Jira a lot. Some teams here use Airtable. Uh, obviously, Slack is pretty critical to everything that we do. Right, right. Outside of Google Sheets and Excel, which anybody in operations <laughs> or finance will know and love, right? Also, related to tools only, this big question of always build versus buy, right? So how do you make that decision around what tools to build or systems to build or versus what tools systems to buy? Yeah, some of it's from experience. You know, there are some things that we will decide this is just too much to handle in in house and, and too much to build. Some of it is is scoping. So, you know, we'll say, hey, we really want to do X, Y, or Z, and we'll scope it out and say, you know, this is, you know, two engineers worth of time, and it's going to take three months to get up and running. And then we'll the common piece that that that, that we always have to remind ourselves, and people often forget, is the maintenance to maintain and update some of these tools over time. So we have, you know, some of our own ways of thinking about the cost associated with building, you know, versus buying. So e- e- in each case, it's it's really a one-off. We're looking at what tools are available, what what capa- what the key capabilities we're trying to trying to build. And then, you know, we're simply comparing what's it going to cost us from a time and, and money perspective relative to, you know, going out to the market and making a decision there. More often than not, we find it's it's better to to buy than it is to build, though there certainly are, you know, a number of sort of custom tools we've developed here internally over time. Right. So let's talk about the composition of your team. Like, what is your team made of? What sort of roles and people? And also, when should founders think of making an ops teams? And like, what are what kind of people to hire your quick parts? Sure. So certainly numbers driven folks and systems driven folks, you know, as far as the, the profile, I, I tend to think general general analysts is is a good profile and then as far as the specific functions sales ops versus marketing ops we look for folks that have that know the systems whether it's a salesforce or a marketo and and have experience with you know working directly with the operators mm-hmm. of those divisions so they know the motion right they know like what an opportunity is what the different stages of an opportunity is for sales for example you know what the key metrics are they're going to they're going to want to know and track over time so experience there is also important but the you know the overarching profile is someone who is analytically inclined and comfortable you know systems. Obviously, on the infrastructure side, it's 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 a different skill set. You know, Arun, for example, who's on our data team is is an engineer, really. And, you know, he's used to spending his time in AWS and working with Airflow and, and S3 and Glue and all those kinds of tools. So depending on what problem you're trying to solve, the skill set will differ. But what I was talking about there was really the, the enablement folks. And then the infrastructure side is, like I said, more specialized on the engineering 
So uh, that was pretty much it. Any final advice would you like to give, especially early stage founders that they need to do or incorporate about what all we discussed in this whole episode? A couple of things. The progression I always hear, which I think is a simple way to think about it is, you know, at first you got to track everything. Right. So make the investments up front to start to track everything. Then, then you can move to reporting, uh, you know, how are we doing? How are we pacing? You know, and then, and then you can move to, to forecasting and predicting. You know, each of those are pretty critical stages and you can't start early enough. So, you know, as an early stage founder, even if it's yourself doing it, I would have a metric, have a goal, have a time frame, be experimenting on what's working, what's not, and sort of build that learning in. And over time, you know, fill out your suite of reporting and analytics. And ultimately, the goal is to build a repeatable engine, right? A repeatable process that, you know, if you put X in, you get Y out. So it's a progression. It takes a lot of time and effort. I do think the speed that we have and and the capability that we have is largely due to the fact that we have centralized. So I would recommend that, but start small. It's a, it's a process. Learn over time. That would be my advice to founders. Any resource you would like to suggest to listeners, books, people, blogs related to ops, systems thinking, processes, goal setting? For, for tech companies in particular, and this will differ depending on the field that you're in, but for, you know, so, so I'll certainly have a bend there given, you know, that's, that's right. what, what I live and breathe. But VCs are a great resource. You know, David Scott has Four Entrepreneurs. It's a great, great blog. Tom Tungas at Redpoint, Brad Feld at Foundry, like Sequoia does a great job with benchmarking and, and, and so on and so forth. So look to some of those folks. They're publishing great content. I'm sure you can learn a lot from, from, from their blogs. There are operators that will publish things, whether it's like, you know, Benioff's Behind the Cloud, Lemkin, you know, via Saster or Reed Hoffman wrote Blitzscaling. There's lots of good content out there and, and even companies. So Price Intelligently is somebody, you know, we know Patrick and the team over there well. They do a great job with data. You can find investment banks, the, you know, Pacific Crest, KeyBank, Jefferies, you know, they'll do benchmarking studies as well. So between those four different avenues, I, I think you can compile a lot of this data and, and, and be pretty informed. Anything you would like to plug in your Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, how can people reach out to you? Sure. My Twitter is probably the, the best place to reach me. My handle is just at WillCollins09. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn if you want to nerd out over metrics or benchmarks or, or ops in general. Uh, but you know, thanks for having me. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for all the insight. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Bye-bye. Of course. Take care. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. Do give me your feedback about the podcast. What could be improved? What topics and guests you would like to see on Insights Alley? You can leave a comment on the YouTube video or could email me at arun at insightsalley.com. You can also message me and connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, etc. My handle everywhere is at the rate arun1192. And remember, always be learning. Bye.